Hello and welcome to the Femcyclopedia. In this episode, we look at Rel's son, champion surfer, and the badass vigilantes, the valiant ladies of Potsoy. There's also a Yar Order 9 featuring, obviously, Queen Victoria and Beyonce. If you do like our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, or on Twitter, and our handle is at Femcyclopedia, F-E-M-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A. Enjoy! Cheers. Little cheers. Cheers. Obviously. Oh, you need to take a sip. Oh, sorry. So we have uh, been at a funeral today of uh, a next door neighbour of ours when we were children who was a fabulous woman. And we always knew her as Dee. And we'd like to give a little bit of gin for the ancestors, even though she wasn't an ancestor, but she liked gin. She did like gin. She she was was a very glamorous woman. She was a very, very glamorous woman. And so Daisy, Phyllis, Raoul, this This is is for you. you. So on with proceedings. On with proceedings. So today we have Rel Sun. Who I know nothing about. Well, Rel Sun was born on the 31st of July, 1950. And, um... She was born in Mahaka, which is about 25 miles northwest of Honolulu, Hawaii. Okay. Now, did you know that... No. um, (laughs) Probably not. Whatever it is, it's unlikely. Did you know that Hawaii has a history of women surfers? No, I just know that Bette Midler was born there. Was she? Uh, yes. That should have been a yar or deny. Oh, damn it. Aha. So, um, apparently, uh, there have been surfers, obviously there have been surfers in Hawaii for many years, but um, women surfing has a very long, long, long history I, in to Hawaii. To be honest, I didn't know how long surfing has been a popular... You know, you think 50s, 60s... Well, when the uh, Westerners came to Hawaii and discovered, in very heavy inverted commas, Hawaii, <laughs> what they saw were men and women surfing alongside one another. Okay. And it was supposedly the kind of uh, Western influence that um, dampened down uh, the spirit of women surfers in Hawaii. Isn't so, that sort of traditional, though? Generally, Westerners sure. coming ruining <laughs> Western everything. Western men ruining yeah. everything. Just Westerners in general. Sorry, right? Western men, if you're listening. We we love you, but, you know, you, you have, have a history of being... absolutely ruined everything <laughs> ever. <laughs> anyway. I'll drink to that. <laughs> So, Rail Sun was born in 1950, as we said, and she was riding a surfboard almost every day from the age of four, and she entered her first amateur competition at 16, some people say 14, um, and she grew up uh, three blocks from one of the world's most storied surfing beaches, and I think that means that it, it there's sort of well, like... I mean, there were a lot of stories about it. Well, I didn't know whether it meant that or whether it meant there was actually sort of... Degrees level... of waves. Yeah, well put. Thank you. It's almost like I'm the teacher. It's almost like you're the intelligent one. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she said, before I could read words, I could read the ocean. I thought I knew everything I ever needed to know just from being on the beach. Wow. Sweet. That is sweet. I have to say that there is a documentary about Railsome which I've heavily relied upon okay. for this information about her. Because I've never, ever, ever heard of her. So, so it's all good 
interesting news to me. So it's, uh, the documentary is called Heart of the Sea, and um, I managed to find it on Vimeo for okay, £3.49, okay. English pounds, people. Yep, and I watched it, and I have to say, I wept. So she was inspired by the Mahaka International Surfing Competition. Good pronunciation. I'm trying my best. Um, and she talks about there being a lot of people from all over the world visiting her hometown and hearing the men talk about their surfing stories. And she gets really inspired by this and she wants to be just like them. Um, at some point, she marries a man and moves to Oklahoma because her husband was what? in the army. So she decides to be landlocked. Fear not. She it comes is back landlocked to the sea. by Oklahoma? Yeah. Presuming so, yeah. So um, like a woman who knows. <laughs> I know literally nothing. Um, except about Rel's son Um, and so she moves to Oklahoma and she has a daughter but she is divorced from her husband before her daughter is two years old she is relieved to move back to her hometown and start surfing again Uh, she's at a little bit of a disadvantage because um, in the competitions she's a single mother she needs to try and find like with most sporting women uh, sponsorship etc yeah. etc et it's not easy for sports women to get to the top of their game without money um, she wants to enter a competition in South Africa and she pawns her belongings her car like all kinds of stuff to raise $1,700 to get there only to find and is it, sorry to interrupt is this sort of 60s 70s now because mm, she, she, you say she's yeah, in the 50s so. yeah I guess okay. yeah I don't have that's a specific a lot of date. money then we're not yes. talking about like the 90s. No. Like, yeah. $1,700 only to find that there was, quote unquote, no money in the women's competition. Oh. Maybe about $300. Wow. So she actually spent more money than she, than she could possibly yeah, have earned yeah, yeah, yeah. going to South Africa. Um, she was involved in one of the most pivotal moments in pro women surfing when in 1978... Um, ABC televised um, something called the Wide World of Sports, including women's surfing. Um, And the only reason that they were convinced that they should include it was the possibility that there might be carnage, right? Brilliant, yeah. um, There are massive waves. There are women who aren't, you know, um, uh, as well respected as the men. And so the way that her, I don't know if he's an agent or or, or the guy doing the... Manager or something, yeah. Whatever he is. He's like, but but the waves are massive and the girls are unprepared and one of them might die and that's the only reason that ABC decided to film and screen it because they like thought the somebody factor. might die. Yeah. Anyway, but um, this... That's cheery. <laughs> but this did give the women the exposure that they needed. Well, some wasn't the only woman involved in this um, uh, ABC Wide World of Sports uh, programme. But anyway, it gave the women the exposure they needed um, Rel wanted a job where she could watch her child um, but still be close to the sea. So she became a lifeguard and she's possibly the first female lifeguard in Hawaii. Wow. Which is quite interesting. And then what started to happen was obviously as she was um, playing with her own child and trying to encourage her child to play in the sea, she um, starts to engage other kids in, in being at one with the ocean and she starts a children's competition which stemmed from a birthday party for her own daughter where she ran a little competition and some of the trophies that she'd won, she kind of like temporarily gave out to them as prizes yeah. and the kids were so delighted that... This then became an annual event and quite a big deal in Hawaii. Um, Rel says that everybody knows her as a surfer, but that what she really loved to do was to dive. 
Um, she could dive to great depths, and one man recalls the first time he went diving with her, and she helped him to catch an octopus. And what? She... <laughs> yeah, this. Oh, the story gets better. So she helped him to how? Catch... <laughs> she helped him to catch an octopus with her and... bare hands. Oh wait, she oh, helps him to catch Lord. an octopus, and she tussles with it a while before she turns it inside out and bites its brain. Yeah. Just hang on for a moment. <laughs> Shall I take a little sip of I my gin tea while you think right, about this? Yeah. <laughs> That's what she does. She, I mean, hang on. I'm thinking that this is a very um, quick and effective way to dispatch an octopus. Well, I mean, you sound like someone who knows. Um, <laughs> I clearly have been many. Can an you swim? No. There we go. Well, I, uh, virtually. Doggy paddle. Backstroke. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how deep you have to go to find an octopus but oh, then hang on let's just reconsider this for a minute not only have you got to dive down to the depths to find an octopus you've got you to catch turn it. it catch it turn it inside out it's like get it cook it eat it <laughs> already steady cook in 30 seconds turn it inside out bite its brain yeah because I think that's After maybe you've the... turned it inside out do you mean you're literally turned like that was a visual <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't really know but I'm imagining that the impression I get of Rail's son is like the... a psychopath. Yeah, but it's a little bit like catching a fish, you knock it on the head to kill it, stun it quickly, over and done with. You don't want it to suffer. No, so, so you she's think I'll turn caught it in the sea. I don't, I don't, I'm confused. Email I mean, us I, with your other yeah. options of if dispatching an octopus. Dispatch an octopus. If you've ever caught an octopus, please tell us. Anyway, she also, I'm and this is much all. less violent, she oh, did good. very good hula dancing. Well, now I'm... Okay, now we're speaking my language. Yes, yeah. you've been hoolering for years. Literally. Came out the womb doing it. So she danced the hula very well, and there is some really beautiful footage of her dancing, and also of her daughter dancing. And um, there's a whole thing in the documentary about... She was such a busy woman that she would always arrive a little bit late to the hula well, dancing she's sessions. she's busy turning an octopus inside out. And raising a daughter, and surfing, surfing and lifeguarding. Giving out trophies, yeah. But there's, there's tons of stuff more that she does so just hang on in there I'm feeling kind of dwarfed already okay well this is definitely going to make you feel dwarfed oh damn prepare I'll yourself take a drink. for a, a downer oh. okay so she um, is diagnosed with cancer and by her own admission sorry I'm sorry she she says on the um, documentary that she was in denial and she just carried on as before she continued to compete compete in professional surfing competitions and she said that she came from a culture where to speak about something was also to encourage it to happen. Yeah. So she just buried it. it. Exactly. Yeah. She buried it. And she admits in the documentary, which is very touching, that she kind of pulled away from some people. And also in the documentary, other people very honestly admit to sort of pulling away from her because they're almost sensing her vibes and, and they, they realise that she kind of needs a bit of privacy. Um, many of them shared her cultural beliefs. So they... So she, there's a sense in which she's a little bit isolated. Yeah. Um, she actually ends up having a mastectomy. Um, and this ends up in her losing a sponsor. And this really made me angry because um, she no longer looked the same in a bathing suit. And she said, in Hawaii, you live in a swimsuit. Of course, it, of course. You just, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, at the time... She actually felt apologetic to her sponsors. Do you know when this is? Is it 70s, um, 80s? I can't probably? remember. She's, if she's born in the 50s and you were talking about 78, I should have written ago. this down. No, 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 but just to give us a rough, I'm oh, guessing 70s, 80s. 
We're not talking naughties, yeah. right? No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I believe so. And she said that at the time she was almost apologetic to her sponsors. And in the documentary, she kind of looks back on that time and she realises what a dreadful thing that is because Absolutely. really, you know, that was their wrong, not hers. And she, you know, you can see that she kind of has a different view about it now she's at a later stage of life. Um... She says that also suitable prosthetic breasts were not readily available to her at that time. They were usually made of foam, and this was a would, of, of course, course, when you're yeah, in the yeah, sea, yeah, yeah. absorb just water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said a friend who she later called her bosom buddy. Nice. <laughs> I don't know where this <laughs> is going, but I like it already. <laughs> well, it's her bosom buddy because she, uh, her friend of hers, went somewhere. Um, and found a shop where they sold prosthetic breasts which weren't made of foam bought one for her brought it back and she started to live merry a completely christmas. new life merry christmas indeed but i do also think with things like that i noticed when i was in geneva recently and we went just to... dropping that there no 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 but we <laughs> went to um uh this place called banda Parque, which is i suppose like sort of the geneva beach okay and you go in there and there's a really nice beach and there were, you know, like bathing bits. And I went in to go to the loo. And then I noticed there was a bit that was like the women's pond. I guess a bit like a Hampstead. Okay. And it was all like overgrown with trees. And it was really cool and nice. And I walked around there to go to the loo. And I noticed there were a lot of women there who were sunbathing topless and had had mastectomies. Ah, and interesting. Thought, it's so important. I, I totally accept why you don't necessarily feel you want to go out in public but i think it is important for people to see the results of things like that to normalize it. yes absolutely and whilst i totally understand why they didn't want to do it on a in a, front a, of everybody yeah sure it, for me you you look and you think oh my god it's and then quite think, empowering it really is and so yeah. I, I i totally understand that kind of so one day she um, is out surfing and as you can imagine surfing is quite a violent sport <laughs> possibly yes well, water rushing absolutely and she loses your hairspray will never stay in <laughs> she loses her breast and she spends the rest of the day combing the beach Looking for her breast for well you know driftwood Which, uh, but she 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 laughed about that um, and she said, cancer teaches you to be humble. I went bored twice in one year. Um, there is another story where she wears a swimming... I think she means a swimming cap rather than a baseball cap. But she yeah. wore a swimming cap while surfing. Um, and again, due to the violent nature of the sport, she lost it. And she said she felt so miserable and ashamed of losing her cap and everybody seeing that she had no hair that she went home crying and she was she just left her she just left everything and went home and she was totally distraught and she said that the next day she went to the beach and all of the surfers were wearing swimming caps in Aww. solidarity which i just thought was that's really yeah touching really lovely and one of the other things although we've talked about the fact that um in many years gone by female surfers in hawaii were praised and very prominent and visible um you know there's also that whole thing that comes about in the kind of 1950s where the boys are all surfing yeah, yeah, and yeah. the girls are just all looking hot on the beach and um i just think that you know you've got to re remember that this is a very male dominated and also uh, sport that as a woman breasts and hair mean a lot it's so important like she said she lost yeah. sponsors absolutely because she no because... longer looked the way she was and i just yeah. think that's it's heartbreaking really um and she said you learn about the outpouring of love when you have cancer her medical expenses were exorbitant 
and so the community threw a benefit for her and there are images of her covered in flower garlands being hugged by loads of people there's footage of her you know they had some kind of um event where they're singing and all this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and they raise money for her um and you can see how loved she is but she also gives back to her community massively and in so many different ways. So because she is always in the sea, she becomes a, an, she is an environmentalist. So when she does these um, activities with kids on the beach, she encourages them to pick up pieces of litter from the ocean and the beach and bring them back to her. She also becomes a radio DJ. And so she's often, um, you know, talking about when the surf is up. She yeah. um, is letting people know the safest places to surf, the best places to cool. surf. Um, and she's giving them loads of information. Um, and she also then starts doing breast cancer awareness, which also kind of ties in with her environmentalism because she talks about things to eat, things to avoid. Like she, It's a big thing. We were Absolutely. watching a documentary not that long ago about stuff like that, and it's really eye-opening about things that certain sponsors will recommend you eat as opposed to dietitians. I'm not going to preach about anything, but it's just very interesting what different things can come up. She does these information events to raise awareness about breast cancer, so you see her, and I suppose like she's talking about um, having a community that don't want to talk about it and then it's not happening to me yeah, yeah, but yeah. she does actually have these events where you can see her in a room full of women she's talking to them about checking your breasts and all this kind of stuff and I think that you know maybe she well I feel like she's a pioneer for that time and that place Absolutely. because not that many women were yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about it and she does this whole thing where politics and health and the environment kind of come together um, she receives treatment for cancer and she still is surfing um, and although she's still fighting, the cancer keeps returning. And eventually she has to have a bone marrow transplant. And she has incredibly strong drugs and she actually goes into a coma. Good Lord. Indeed. Um, she obviously comes out of the coma because in the documentary she talks about the coma. And this is her description. And she says, she was paddling for a wave, but it would never develop. The water was powdery blue as if the surf should be bigger and I was paddling I felt so much frustration and then finally it crested I caught a wave and it crested and broke and when I looked up at my sister I said I finally caught a wave and she said I thought you wouldn't make it and she said that she feels that surfing saved her life because when she was in that coma yeah, yeah, subconsciously yeah, yeah, yeah. she's trying through. to catch yeah, yeah, that yeah. wave and that's what's pulling her through I'd just be running after a drink or something <laughs> Whatever gets you there, There's honey. There's a on the way. A I can smell the caprinium. Oh, that'd be my problem. Um, so, yeah, she does come out of this. And then she decides that she has this whole um, little surfing group with these kids. And she decides that she's going to take 20 kids to France. And she's essentially within the last two years of her life at this stage. She's deeply oh, ill. I didn't want you to tell me that there was an end on the horizon. Well, okay. we all have to die sometime. All right. Um, and she just looks so alive. And she looks so happy. And she's she does not look like a woman who is dying, is all I can but say. But she doesn't sound like a woman who feels like she is. So no, I don't think she it. it just sounds determined that it's not going to happen. <laughs> and her friend says about her, 10 years ago she was giving out stickers to the kids. As a, as a like a reward yeah. and now she's taking them to France and again you know she's not a woman who comes from a lot of money and even no. though she's at the potentially at the top of her game it's not she's like not any, she's yeah, not she, a, 
a footballer in the Tiger Premier League. Tiger Woods are well, not exactly. anymore. Yeah, you know. Exactly. Tiger Woods was a bad example. I apologise. <laughs> so, um, she eventually died on January the 2nd, 1998. Wow. And so she was 48. She lived, for, she lived for 14 years with cancer, oh. battling cancer. So for when she was 34. She Gosh. lives for a long Look time. Look at me with maths. Hello. Well done. You've been practising. Um, her ashes <laughs> were scattered with over 3,000 people in attendance um, on the lineup at her favourite break um, in Mahaka. And when you see the documentary, which I have to say I watched, I just Oh, it's just going to make me cry. No, but it was joyous in a way. But I, I, I How many people like... do you want to... Listen, babe, no disrespect here. 3,000 people at your funeral. Yes, hello. I think... Ha- I think three, I'd feel blessed <laughs> at the moment. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I've got four cats, so I'm assuming three of them are <laughs> They'll be dead up. by the time you're gone. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> Cursing me now. Wow. Wow. But if you see the funeral, if you watch the documentary, which no, I, just I just wept at what is it towards called? the end, it's called Heart of the Sea, which, and I didn't oh, you do it. I, I did, but I didn't do it, did I? I didn't do my excellent pronunciation that I've been um, practicing. Oh, have you? Oh, I'd love to hear it. So, Rel's son, her middle name is Rel Kapolio Kaehukai, son. And her middle name is Hawaiian for Heart of the Sea. Oh. And apparently, she says that her grandparents encouraged her parents to name her that. So that was very that they had a lot of foresight because she indeed had a a heart which belonged to the sea. I don't um, have a name as mystical as that. No, but Maybe they'd call me. Deed Pulp will work on yeah. it. Yeah, Star of the Stage. <laughs> I'd be like, oh yeah, I feel like I could work towards that. Well, you could still. But her ashes are carried out into the sea in a canoe. I mean, she was very much involved in the kind of um, cultural life of, yeah. of Hawaii. So there is this beautiful footage of somebody carrying her ashes out into the sea and all of these canoes and surfboards travelling with her at the same time. It's really, really I beautiful. Feel a little bit emotional, which yeah. is why I was just weeping at the whole documentary. Oh, uh, Rel's son, who was often called Auntie Rel... Or the Queen of Mahaka. I'd call her the Queen of Mahaka. She was auntie rel to all the kids and the Queen of Mahaka to the elders. Uh, she expressed the wish that at her funeral, mourners should not speak of her as passing on to a better place. She said, there is no better place than Mahaka. This is heaven on earth. Oh, Rel. You've caught me a bit off guard. <laughs> she is actually looking a bit teary. I am. <laughs> because I'm also thinking of, ooh, baby... Do you know what it's worth? Heaven is a place on earth. Belinda Carlisle. I'm going to have that as my eulogy. Do you think? So we need to have a massive Massive cheers. Massive cheers. I always drained this. So (laughs) Rel, wow. Go on, Rel. There's a wave for you, baby. Ya order nine. Ya order nine. There is an Indian bird named after Queen Victoria. Okay. Or. Or. There is a species of insect named after Beyonce. Hmm. <sighs> Indian bird, species of insect, Beyonce. Oh, single leg. Oh, single leg. Oh, single leg. I, I oh, do know she is. Uh, <laughs> uh, mm, you mm-hmm. see, I think. I think that. There are loads of things named after Queen Victoria, and they're 
might well be a bird. Mm. But I think that you'd be more likely to discover there was a bird called Beyonce and try and catch me out by it being Queen Victoria. I know, it's an insect, a species of insect. Whatever it is. Named after Beyonce. Whatever it is, I think you'd find that as a fact and think, ha 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 ha, I should trick her. And I'll probably be wrong, but I'm going to go with Beyonce the insect, which is going to have like a little twerking ass. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining. That's what I'm imagining. It's like, uh-oh, 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 bubble. That's what I'm imagining. I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to go with Beyonce. Scapesia Beyonce. Boom! But yes, the species of insect was discovered many years ago, but was only recently named and is known as the diva of insects or something like that. Oh. Y'all the name. Y'all the name. Okay, <laughs> so I would like to present to you, I think possibly for the first time so far, yeah. two ladies Ooh. Ooh. Um, who are called the Valiant Ladies of Potsoy. Could you help me out here a little? Yeah. Potsoy. Okay, so I was about to go into Whereabouts? Wow, well, just rudely <laughs> Okay, so from what I understand, Potsoy was um, a city... Good start. Because <laughs> um, I don't know, so I just believe yeah. anything you're telling me right now. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, it was it was a city in what at the time was part of I think the Viceroy of Peru, but is now in modern day Bolivia. So I think just oh. where lines have been redrawn. And I've, I tried to look up a little bit about Potsoy as a city, which I just think is a great, and it sounds it's like... It's a great name. It should be in China, and it's P-O-T... That's what I thought of yeah, first. P-O-T-S-O-I. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a... So, uh, the time we're placing this is in the 17th century, sort of... Um, oh, okay. It's really difficult to kind of get the sort of dates. But at 1620-ish. Okay, early. Um, yeah, early-ish. I guess the best way to describe it is a bit like a sort of frontier town. Okay. So you had um, a lot of kind of rich uh, Spanish sort of barons trying to get control of the mines. Okay. And then there seemed to be a, a vast amount of kind of South American slaves working in the mines. Okay. But also miners. I, I, I tried to look into what the difference was and came up empty. Okay. I mean, I guess other than some were slaves and some were paid. But when you were paid, you were paid very well. Okay. And consequently, Potsoy was yep. a very interesting town. Because okay. there's this huge amount of silver. Yep. And so there's a huge amount of wealth. Yes. And when there's a huge amount of wealth with a huge amount of men... You need a huge amount of women to service them? Pretty much. Okay. You need, so, so at the time, it was a really kind of tough town to live in. It was a bit like sure. sort of the Wild West. Wild West, yep. Um, I hear you. And there's sort of, you know, uh, people kind of jostling for controls of the mines. And a lot of the, the miners uh, would spend their money on gambling and prostitutes. Wine, women and song. Pretty much. That's, mm-hmm. that's a nice way to put it. Um, and also, because of all the money in the town, there were bandits everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it was quite sort of lawless. Okay. Um, to the extent where the general sort of populace would go out um, and they would often wear... And when I read this, I was like, I don't know if I'm getting a bit dim, but I don't understand. But they talk about them wearing three leather jackets. You'd be like... That just sounds like a show-off. But it was actually to stop people stabbing you if you had three leather coats Do you know on. what I was just about to say? That it's to stop people stabbing you? 
that that's what I I often wonder why young people in London wear so many clothes when it's really hot outside and it's for the same reason well not in Clerkenwell necessarily <sighs> I wouldn't put it past them anyway no that that, that did cross so, my mind and and so yeah they used to wear a lot of they you know they refer to them as leather jackets but I'm guessing they're more like sort of jerkins <laughs> okay great, oh it's a great word a jerkin mm-hmm. um, and in fact even the town council would not meet unless they had chain mail on underneath that they wow were so, yeah it's pretty hardcore around those parts it's, it's pretty tough yep. so 17th century in this town we have two women born and hold on a minute just two just women two. nobody else has ever born <laughs> so we had Anna Lizama de Urinza Okay. Was one of them. And Donna Estaquia de Sonza. Very good. Oh, thank you, darling. Anyway, so Anna, the first one, was born on the streets of Popsoy. Okay. And basically grew up as a bit of an orphan. Um, they have no, they're no relation. No. Fine. Not at the moment. Um, so, so Anna, or Anna, A-N-A, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was brought up an orphan and she seems to have had quite a sort of tough life and she obviously sort of survived on her own, which I think if you imagine um, in that period in time, in the 1600s, how hard that must have been on the streets by yourself with no one in this kind of lawless town where people are just willingly stabbing each other and fornicating with 11-year-olds. Jesus, I mean, I've tried to survive from Turnpike Lane when I was 18. I can't imagine. It's probably similar. (laughs) Just without a lot of great Turkish greengrocers. Exactly. That's the main difference. So that's Anna. She must have been fairly tough and strong because... I think that is an understatement. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to, you know... (laughs) Give us some room to breathe. <laughs> Esther Queer is how I'm assuming I pronounce her name, was uh, brought up in the complete opposite sort of background. Okay. She was the daughter of Don de Souza, who was a powerful Spanish aristocrat. And she was brought up in a really opulent, beautiful villa, which um, looked down on the city. And she lived a very uh, luxuriant, pampered existence and had every you know will and whim catered to. There seem to be sort of slightly sketchy details about right. what happens for the first 12 years of their life. And they seem to meet when they're around 12. Okay. And by this point, we're not sure if, if they met at that age or if they've been friends up until that point. But they are so close that Esther Queer's father mm-hmm. adopts Anna. Okay, so Estaquia is the rich, is the rich one. one. Okay. And so the poor girl who's brought up on the streets becomes adopted into the family, which seems quite a sort of stark contrast. Yeah, but I how suppose... Did they become, well, how did they become friends? If she grew up in a villa on a hill... Maybe and... she's sleeping outside the house. Possibly. And you just take pity on her and think, Possibly. bring her into the fold. There's never any mention of a sort of mother for the rich girl, so okay. I don't know if he sort of thought of a bit of a companion or whatever. Okay. Um... Anyway, the two girls were incredibly close and they did everything together and they really enjoyed watching Esther Queer's brother take fencing lessons. And he had fencing lessons from a sort of Spanish master swordsman who mm-hmm. um, was the, the best that money could buy because okay. this guy was so rich. And they 
they enjoyed watching this more than learning all the sort of feminine in inverted commas well, pursuits of the day you know needlework tuna pasta bake uh, <laughs> <laughs> like we would have done in home economics honestly I slayed that I'm so good the tuna pasta bake yeah. but then anyway. my tuna pasta bake was amazing <laughs> Uh, but then also in home economics I managed to stitch my finger to a PE bag I had to make so it was kind of I was 50-50 so anyway back to pot sorry so anyway yeah they really enjoyed uh, watching um, the brother learning the sort of sword fighting in a kind of very vague way Estaquia's brother dies don't right. know how or why well it's the 1600s there, there are a lot few records happened. it's Peru whatever yeah Peru Bolivia you know nobody really knows what's happening um, and I'm not sure if because the uh, swordmaster is under the pay of the family, or if, or if the father just realises the girls really enjoy it. For whatever reason, the father decides to let the girls have lessons. His daughter and his adopted daughter. Why not? And they are clearly both very skilled at it to the extent where this guy also teaches them, and I love this, how to handle a musket. Brilliant. So how to load and fire because I was like. You know, it'd be fine with a musket, but obviously it's more complicated than now. I mean, I've been clay pigeon shooting. I don't think you've Have done you? that. Have you? Yeah, no, I've never done that. So. so whether or not the girls were taught these skills because they enjoyed them, or because, or because the them. dad thought, yeah, this is quite a hard town. If you found yourself, yep. outside a pub at ten o'clock at night after a few zambukas, and a couple of guys are coming on to you, and you need to somersault over a horse and, and kick some ass and load a musket. Yeah, here we go. Sure. Um, but what seems to happen is that the girls learnt all of this stuff and they were like, this is brilliant. Sure. We found an absolute calling in life. And, and because of that, they had no interest in needlepoint and a tuna pasta bake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who does? Um, and they seemed to feel very sort of disappointed at, you know, reading and watching the world. The limitations of their gender. Um, well, more succinct than I could ever put it. Um... <laughs> Now, because they'd come from this very sort of good family, and they uh-huh. were slightly distanced from Potsoy, they were very aware that although they'd learnt all these skills, they were kind of useless, really. Because what what need who they have needs? People need a tuna pasta bake, yeah. and not a somersaulting swordswoman. When you're Joan Collins, yep. who wants to know how to use nunchucks? Sure. <laughs> yep. So they were just like, oh, this is just a, a bit boring. And so they came up with a brilliant plan. Okay, what's the plan? So the plan is that they would tie their hair up, disguise themselves as men. Right. Sneak out into the city late at night. Okay. Play poker. (laughs) Get drunk. Dance with women. Snog them. Pick fights. And generally have a carousing rip roaring time. Raise hell. Raise hell. Because, I mean, they're just in a very pretty villa, probably with a loot player or something similar. Sure, yeah. I don't know, an orange tree. What can you do? And a tuna pasta bake. (laughs) People clearly didn't realise they were girls. And I oh, think saucy. Around, around the time they are about, I don't know, 16-ish. Now, the most documented occasion this happens is when the two of them go out into town one night and they take on four bandits. Four bad boys. Four bad boys. <laughs> four bad boys for life. Uh, whether or not they're trying to rob people or trying to rob the girls seems to be a bit muddied. Um, but they fight back to back. Right. Um, and then Anna gets injured and Esther Queer is furious because somebody seems to have cut her in the jaw or something and takes on all four men all at once. Oh, go on. Until Anna eventually gets to her feet and there are references, and I didn't put them 
in her being uh, full of the vengeance of a tiger. Brilliant. And they go absolutely crazy. And I don't think they kill these guys. I don't know if they're into that. But Just a they, couple of cuts. Yeah. Lacerations. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of take them to the brink. Um, it's at this time that the girl's friendship is meant to have developed into a little moment of friendship. Okay. I've been waiting for so long, baby. Woo! Um, and they, so they, they become lovers at some point. And this is, if you, you look this story up, there seems to be a little, little known about them other than they were like badass kick They were getting it on. And they were getting it on. So I'm kind of like, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll take that. But do you think sometimes that people just made this stuff up? Well, uh, we're going to come back to... Okay. I will hush my mouth. Hush your mouth, girl. Um, <laughs> so I'm just saying so. Okay. <laughs> so for the next five years or so, I loved this. I read this and it was put uh, so interestingly in every passage I read about it. And I was like, I, I don't think I can put it any better than literally what everybody put, which okay. sounds like plagiarism. They went on tour. Okay. The next five years, they just seemed to sort of tour the country. Um, be- just their own country or beyond the borders? Well, I well I don't know whether it's Peru and Bolivia, but it, it's within their... But they're not doing, you not, know... They're not going to like... France Rome, France. No, no, no. It's not their grand tour. Okay. Um, and they they sort of pick fights, act as vigilantes. This sounds very similar to Julie Daubeny. Yeah. <laughs> they like try to clean up the hood. Um... <laughs> And also, for some reason, decide to go bullfighting, which, I mean, why not? I guess if you can take on four bandits with two swords. A bull is literally... But then I do, I always think with bulls, they're not really looking for a fight, are they? They're probably just probably randy. Not. It's like in Withnall night. There's a randy bull. You, know, <laughs> you don't really want to be fighting it. Um, and so, yeah, for the next five years, they they sort of... <laughs> girls on tour. Um, and they seem to just generally have a great time. They only stop their tour hmm. when Daddy Darling dies. Don D'Souza oh. dies. Um, and they go back to Potsoy. And they go back to there and decide that they're going to sort of retire. Okay. They've got all this money. They can just, you know, sure. live together, have a wonderful life. However. Uh-huh. Oh, you knew there was going to be a however. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Anna dies from wounds she sustained when fighting a bull. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, you can only run your luck by the so sword. long. Die by the sword. Exactly. Um, so it, she, yeah, she gets she gets some wounds after fighting ball and she dies. And Esther Queer dies four months later from a broken heartbreak. Heart. I knew you were going to say that after mourning her. However, the thing that I found interesting was that initially it seemed that when they were sort of younger, they clearly dressed as men and and got away with everything. But within their lifetime, yeah. they were known as the Valiant Ladies of Potsoy. So at some point, their sex was discovered. It's not like we call them that in hindsight. But it's at the time. See, it's always this thing, and it's a little bit similar with Julie Daubeny and other people. Are they dressing as men because they feel in some way transgender and they want to be men? No, I just think or, they can get away with shit. Or are they... Um, y- wearing clothes that are simply practical for their well, pursuits. I was wondering that, but when they talk about the fact that they were obviously from a sort of noble family and they had to tie their hair up and they were clearly... I think they were worried about 
in a lawless town going out late at night. Yeah, I guess you're kind of so opening yourself up to when sexual they were like assault. Teenagers <clears throat> and things, perhaps, <clears throat> but they were certainly at the end celebrated as women. And I just thought that, as I'd said to you before we recorded this, I felt I wanted to know more about them. Mm-hmm. But what little we have is fairly interesting for like 17th century. Oh, yes. And yeah, they should have been pals with Julie Daubney and had like the three. Oh my god, the oh three. Not musketeers, but the... Lady tears. That's rubbish. <laughs> That's rubbish. Oh, my the God. three musketeers. Oh, wow. <laughs> Joanna Thompson. That's a new level. Jeez, cheers, cheers to Cheers to the valiant ladies of Portsoy. Wow.